0: Tonight we are continuing to remind ourselves about our 10 primary commitments as a church. Um, I reminded us last Sunday night of something I had said at the beginning of this series uh, back last summer. Uh, Namely, that for some of these 10 commitments, we would be preaching entire series. And that's because some of these commitments we haven't given as much attention to uh, in our preaching as I would like. Uh, but there are others of these commitments that we've made as a church that over the last 10 years we've been able to hit pretty hard. And so rather than preaching a whole series on those commitments, uh, those I'm just going to preach a single sermon on as a as way of reminder. Uh, as a way of saying, this matters. Don't forget about this. And so tonight is another one of those single sermons. And what I want to do tonight is simply remind us as a church about our commitment to biblical leadership biblical leadership Uh, now we have spent a great deal of time in the past looking at this subject particularly looking at church polity looking at church structure what does the bible say what does jesus who is the head of the church say about how a church is to be structured We've also spent many sermons looking at the qualifications of pastors and deacons in First Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And we've talked about who pastors are and what they're to do and who deacons are and what they are to do. And on many occasions, we've looked at biblical leadership in terms of the requirements that leaders be humble leaders, servant leaders. That's the example Christ set, that the greatest would be those who stoop to wash one another's feet. And so tonight I thought I might reemphasize for us this commitment to biblical leadership by focusing particularly on one aspect of biblical leadership. And this is one that maybe we haven't spoken about as much in the preaching of this church. I simply want to remind us tonight that one way that leaders care for those who are in their church family is by seeking to be examples for them. Examples. Leading by example. I know that there are few things that are more humbling and more convicting to me than being reminded as a pastor that it is incumbent upon me to be a model of Christ-likeness for this church. And so this is a theme I want us to open up just a little tonight by looking at 1 Thessalonians 1 And uh, verses 5 through 7. So 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 5 through 7 are our key verses. But let's begin in verse 2. Let's begin in verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Okay, so the first point I want us to see from this passage is in verse 6. And I simply want you to notice how Paul is thankful and Paul is delighted that the Thessalonians have become imitators. They've become imitators first of Paul and Silas and Timothy themselves, but also secondly and more importantly, the Thessalonians, Paul says, have become imitators of Christ. And so lest you think that this message isn't directly about you, if you are not a church leader, make sure you see the implication of verse 6. The implication of verse 6 is, is that it is the duty of every Christian and the calling of every Christian and ought to be the aim of every Christian to imitate the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us in this room has been called to Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. So what do I mean when I say that we should strive to be imitators of of Christ. Do I mean that we should all buy plane tickets to Palestine? And that we need to go and reenact the scenes of Jesus' life and wear clothes like he wore and repeat things that he said and, and No, of course not. That's that's ridiculous. Although there are many other religions in which very similar things to that happen. So for example, every year. Approximately 3 million Muslims make a trip to the city of Mecca. And on that trip, they are imitating the Prophet Muhammad's trip to that place with his followers in 632 AD. Uh, This pilgrimage to Mecca called the Hajj is the fifth pillar of Islam. And it is a requirement that every Muslim must accomplish this trip in his lifetime if he can afford it. So when Paul speaks of imitating the Lord Jesus Christ, that is not the kind of thing he has in mind. He does not have in mind us actually going to Palestine, imitating scenes from the life of Christ. That's that's not what he's talking about. Nor does Paul mean that we should imitate things about Christ's person and work that are unique to Christ as the Son of God. Jesus is divine. You and I are not. We should not walk around claiming to be able to forgive sins. We should not walk around claiming to be Lord. We should not act as if the Holy Spirit does our bidding or, or as if the Scriptures contain our words. No, to the King of Ages, immortal, invisible, the God only wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. First 1 Timothy 1.17 We should not seek to take for ourselves what is not rightfully ours. There are some things that are true about Christ that will forever only be true about Christ, to His glory. Amen. But the Scriptures are very clear. That there are many ways in which we ought to imitate Christ. Uh, the word used in verse 6 is the word mimetes. Mimetes, right, from which we get our word mimic. So imitate is the translation of mimetes, mimic. There is a way in which Christians are to mimic the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is it about our Lord Jesus Christ that we are to mimic? It is, of course, His godly character. All of those moral qualities that describe our bridegroom, that describe the captain of our salvation, that describe the apple of our eye, Jesus Christ, all of those moral qualities that make Him the fairest of 10,000, we want to pursue for ourselves. His love, His patience, His faithfulness, His justice, His kindness, His boldness, His humility, His courage, All of these things describe Christ and all of these are traits that ought to be being developed in us by the Holy Spirit as we look to Jesus as our model. The scriptures teach us to behold the holy character of Christ, to wonder and to love the holy character of Christ, and then to imitate the holy character of Christ. Um, I've used the example many, many times before of how we imitate those things we, we love. And the, the example I love to use is when I was six years old, I loved my Superman pajamas. And I have home videotape of, of me standing on the steps with my Superman pajamas and my little red cape and, and jumping off. And, and, and what was that about? That was me imitating someone that I loved and wanted to be like. Well, as Christians, we have one person that is the apple of our eye, that we love more than anything or anyone in this world, and that is Christ. And we are happy to do everything we can to put on Jesus' pajamas and be as close to him as we can be as far as imitating his character and imitating his godliness. Um, Take, for example, his humility and his serving spirit. This is what characterized our Lord Jesus while he was on the earth. And he specifically instructed his disciples to imitate him in this. And so on the last night of, I'm sorry, on the night of their last meal together, right, the last supper, we see Jesus kneeling down before each of the disciples. And he washes each of their feet, taking the place of a servant. And then he says, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet for i have given you an example that you also should do just as i have done to you john 13:14 and 15 paul echoes this in philippians 2 reminding us that jesus is our ultimate example of humility a very famous passage philippians 2 beginning in verse 5 have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held on tightly to, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. So, Jesus, so, so Paul says, be humble, and he says, here's how. Look to and remember the example of your Savior. Christ is our example of how to endure in faithfulness even when we are suffering unjustly. Peter says, What credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it, and if you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps." 1 Peter 2, 20 and 21. Or again, Christ is our example of how to run our spiritual race. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says we should run our race looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And so on and on and on we could go with passages of scripture that call us to see the example of christ and to imitate him let me give you just one more that you might not have thought of first timothy 1 15, uh, paul says that he is the foremost of all sinners paul says i am the chief of sinners so why did jesus choose to save paul why did Jesus choose to save the chief of sinners? Well, Listen to Paul's explanation in 1 Timothy 1.16. He says, I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul says the very reason that God chose to save me when I was the worst of the worst, I was the one hunting down the Christians, I was the one nodding in approval as Stephen was being stoned to death, but God saved me and God saved me and Jesus is saving me for this purpose so that through Jesus' relationship with me, Jesus' people can learn what it is to be patient and to endure with others. So, I assume I've made my case to you that the scriptures teach us to imitate the godly character of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, certainly this is something that all of us who are born again desire. We want to be more holy. We want to be more like the Savior we love. Um, If you're in this room and you don't long for the day when you will be glorified, if you don't long for the day when the battle with sin will be over and you will be spotless and blameless with pure thoughts and pure intentions and pure attitudes, something's not right. I don't think you can be a Christian and not have those desires for holiness in your soul. But how can we grow in Christ-likeness in this life? Certainly the Word of God must play a central role. Certainly prayer must play a central role. But in this passage, Paul points us to something else. In this passage that we've just read, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 and 7, the Apostle Paul is rejoicing that this fledgling church in Thessalonica is continuing to show great evidences of grace despite the fact that this church is both young and this church is living in the face of terrible persecution. Timothy has just brought to Paul a report about this church. And though there are certainly some issues that Paul wants to address with them, and he's going to address those issues in this letter, Paul is, by and large, encouraged. And he is using these opening words of his letter to express his thanksgiving to God for the grace that he has heard about in this church. In verse 4, Paul speaks confidently about this church. He says, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. And in verse 5, Paul explains the reason that he can have such confidence. How can he know that God has chosen these people? Verse 5, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And as Paul is thinking about the grace that God has given these Christians, he realizes that it was not only his preaching that God used, but it was also his example. Uh, One of the key evidences that God is really at work in this church, Paul says, is that they have become imitators of the kind of lifestyle that Paul exemplified. And so beginning in the second half of verse 5... Paul says, You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Several things to be said here. Number one, there is a connection between the message and the messenger. There's a connection between the message and the messenger. The example that Paul And Silas and Timothy set before the Thessalonians as they were there preaching the gospel. Their example did not undermine their message. Their example complemented their message. The kind of lives that Paul and Timothy and Silas lived as they were there in that city for weeks. And, hey, they had to stay in people's homes. You ever stayed in somebody else's home for a week? You know, you, you get to see all kinds of things maybe you didn't know about people, right? And Paul says, look, the kind of life that Paul, Silas, and Timothy and I lived before you as you got to know us helped show that our message was true. The power of the gospel to transform people into God-centered, love-driven, joy-filled servants of Christ was evident even in the way these men ate their meals and dialogued with folks before bedtime and in the conversations they had. As the Thessalonians were hearing the gospel preached by these men, they were not only being won by the content of their message, but they were also being won by the evidence of the power of the gospel to change lives being displayed in the examples of these men. The question for us is this. As we seek to convince those around us that trusting in Christ and following Him as Lord really does produce true, positive changes in people's lives, are our own lives supporting that claim? Or are our lives undermining that claim? Would an unbeliever see your life as exhibit A, that the gospel really does change people for good? Or would unbelievers see your life as an evidence that the gospel really isn't all it's made out to be? we've all heard people say it well i know so and so they claim to be a christian and look at how they live people use that all the time as reasons not to consider christianity or the truth of jesus so there's a connection between the message and the messenger number two living a godly life is an act of love towards others Living a godly life is an act of love towards others. Paul says, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Now certainly, we should seek to live godly lives for God's sake. (laughs) We exist for the glory of God. When we live depending on His grace, enthralled by His character, rejoicing in His promises, obeying His commands, we are experiencing for ourselves and we are displaying to all the surpassing worth of God. So for the sake of the name of God, we should seek to be godly. We should also seek to live a godly life for our own sakes. Frankly, The book of Hebrews speaks about that holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Um, If we're not holy people, if we're not becoming holy people, we don't have any reason to have confidence that we are Christ at all. Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better that you lose one of your own members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. The understanding of the Bible is that a Christian is someone using the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to kill sin in their lives, right? And if if you're not killing sin in your life, sin will be killing you, and you will ultimately forsake the Lord Jesus Christ. You will chase after something else, and you will make something else your God. You will end up bowing down to some idol other than Jesus if you're not pursuing holiness and killing sin in your life. And so we should pursue holiness for our own sake. So for God's sake and for our sakes. But Paul here gives us this third motivation. That we should live godly lives for the sake of those around us. Paul's life and Silas's life and Timothy's life, they were being used by God to draw the people of this city to Christ. The example of these three men was being used by God to both save people from hell and to keep them from further sin. Let me ask you this question. Do you want your life to make a difference in the lives of others? Do you want your life to be a blessing and not a curse to your loved ones and your friends and your co-workers? There is no better way that your life can influence others around you than for your example to be used by God to win people to Christ and to keep them from sin. It is loving to those around you for you to pursue holiness. And conversely, it is unloving for you not to. Your sins do not only affect you When we sin before our spouses, when we sin before our children or before our grandchildren or before our co-workers or before others, if we do not in their presence confess that sin, renounce that sin, publicly repent of that sin, then we have left the impression on them that our sin is no big deal and it makes the path of wickedness a little bit easier for them to walk and for them to take. The way we live before others matters. And living in godliness is an act of love to all around us. Third point. Imitating likeness is a positive evidence of God's saving work. Imitating likeness is a positive evidence of God's saving work. Briefly, just notice again that becoming like Jesus is evidence that a person truly has been chosen by God and belongs to Him. That's what Paul says. Brothers, loved by God, we know that God has chosen you. Why? Because our gospel came to you with power and in the Spirit and with conviction, and we see the kind of men you have become. Men who are imitating our example, men who are imitating the example of Christ, men who indeed are setting the example for other churches. Do you want assurance of your salvation? Do you want to know I am Christ and He is mine? We should pray that Christ would be formed in us. That His character would become our character. That something of His image would begin to be seen in us. If you want to know whether or not a tree is good, you check the fruit. So also if you want to know whether or not a person has been made spiritually alive... You check the fruit. Now, all of this brings us to that main truth that I wanted to set before us. Namely, that church leaders ought to set the example of Christ-likeness for those under our care. Uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were the very first church leaders in Thessalonica. Uh, In a very real sense, they were the first pastors of this church. They were church planters. And they were preaching the gospel... And then they were helping those who responded to the gospel establish a life together in a church community. It was Paul, Silas, and Timothy that laid the foundation for this church. They almost certainly led the first worship services. They were the ones who almost certainly appointed its first indigenous leaders. When we look at Paul and his co-laborers in this church we see that they took very seriously their role as models of godliness. We see this throughout the letters of Paul. 1 Corinthians 4.16, Paul told the church in Corinth, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Or again, 1 Corinthians 11, 11 verse one, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, Philippians 3.17, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In 2 Thessalonians 3, addressing the problem of some in that church who were using the return of Jesus as a reason to be idle and not work, Paul says, you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. So in reading these passages, it's very clear. Paul took very seriously the importance of Christians having a real-life example of Christ-likeness to imitate. And he understood that to be a part of his calling and the calling of church leaders. We don't get to walk and talk with Jesus on the earth the way the disciples did. So Paul saw the calling of church leaders to be those who set the example and show the pattern of the way Christians are supposed to live. When when people hear those passages that I just read, one common objection is this. Isn't that an expression of pride in Paul's life? Hear how cocky he sounds writing to these churches. Imitate me, imitate me, imitate me. He must have thought an awful lot of himself to be telling all these Christians to imitate him. What we need to remember is that this is a man who referred to himself with all genuineness as the chief of sinners. Uh, Paul did not hold himself up as an example because he believed that he was somehow sinless or perfect. No, Paul spoke very openly about his own struggles. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Romans 7. So Paul did not set himself up as an example because he believed he was holier than everyone else. No. Paul told the churches to imitate him because he believed it was God's will. That churches imitate their leaders and that leaders understand this heavy responsibility it's been placed upon them remember acts chapter 20 paul was speaking for the last time to these elders from the church in ephesus and he talks with them about the example that he has been setting for them for three years and he calls them to exercise the same care for that church that he showed them how to set and how to care In a sense, he says to those pastors, you saw how I cared for these people. Now follow my example. Make sure you care for these people in the same way. And if it's not absolutely clear there, it is in 1 Timothy 4.12, where Paul says to Timothy, who was functioning as one of the pastors in Ephesus, Paul says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, faith and impurity this wasn't just a paul thing either peter first peter 5 speaking to the elders of the churches he says exercise oversight not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock Hebrews thirteen seven Christians are specifically commanded to imitate their leaders. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, of course, Christians are not to imitate ungodly leaders and Christians are not to imitate what is ungodly in their leaders and there are no perfect leaders and there are no perfect pastors and there are no perfect deacons and we all have our weaknesses and our blind spots and so we're to, we're to imitate the good and what are we supposed to do with the bad throw it out 3 John 11 beloved do not imitate evil but imitate good so from all of this i would draw out this one main implication Namely, that it is really, really, really important that men who fill positions of leadership in the churches of Christ, be they pastors or deacons, be examples of godliness. Um, Let me be very clear that the target of this sermon is my own back. And I need this reminder as much as anyone. The spiritual condition of a church will almost always be dependent upon the spiritual condition of its leadership. Look at the nation of Israel. When a king came along who trusted the Lord, the people would follow their king and they would turn away from other gods. And when a king came along who was wicked, the people of Israel would follow that king right into his wickedness. Another example of this is Jeremiah 23. Turn there with me real quickly. We've seen this before, but it's it's important, and it's a good reminder. Jeremiah 23, because here God is addressing the prophets of Judah who were called to speak his word to his people. That was their jobs. These prophets were supposed to speak God's word to God's people, and listen to what God says to them. Jeremiah 23, beginning in verse 9. Beginning in verse 9. Concerning the prophets, Jeremiah 23 verse 9, concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me, all my bones shake. I am like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers. Because of the curse, the land mourns and the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil, and their might is not right. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house I have found their evil, declares the Lord. Therefore their way shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness, into which they shall be driven and fall. For I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. In the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Notice that the wickedness of the prophets is said to strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. The very thing that prophets are called to do, to call God's people towards righteousness, they're doing the opposite. By their example, God says, by their own adultery, by their own lies, the hands of evildoers are being strengthened and the people will not turn away. Because the prophets are living immoral lives, they're giving license to the others to do evil. How often our own day, even this week, another major pastor stepping down because of an adulterous affair. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poison water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. It's like a, a, a cup and, and, and food coloring. And you just drop in one drop and then it spreads. God says, from the example of my prophets, wickedness has gone into all the land. What if things had been different? What if these prophets had fulfilled their callings and been faithful to God? What if these leaders had been faithful men, righteous men? Would that have made a difference? God says, yes. Look at verse 21 and 22. Verse 21. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stayed in my counsel... Then they would have proclaimed my words to my people and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. God says, had the prophets been faithful to proclaim the true words of God, the people would have turned from their evil deeds and the judgment of God would have been avoided. Jerusalem would not have been seized and disaster would not have come. All I'm showing you from this passage is the utter importance of godly leadership. John MacArthur has written, whatever the leaders are, the people become. Hosea says, Hosea 4.9, like people, like priest. Jesus said, everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. Luke 6, verse 40. John MacArthur says, biblical history demonstrates that people will seldom rise above the spiritual level of their leadership. What's the application? For me, and for Pastor Merle and for the deacons of our church, this means that we need to regularly examine the example that we are setting for you as a church body. It means that we need to hold one another accountable. Does it mean that we need to be perfect? We cannot be in this life, but when we realize that we've set a bad example, we need to immediately and publicly confess and repent of that sin. We need to set an example of godliness, and when we fail, we need to set the example of godly repentance. Second application. When the time comes for us to appoint another pastor or another deacon to the leadership of this church, we should do all that we can to ensure that that person is a godly man. We have the qualifications laid out for us in First Timothy 3 and Acts 6 and Titus 1. The future of Mount Hermon Missionary Baptist Church and the spiritual condition of the souls in this place will be shaped by the leadership here. And so it is of paramount spiritual importance that we do not play games with the spiritual offices of Christ church third application i would pray that in our church we would have men and especially lots of boys who are growing up with the desire to one day have an office in christ church it is a good desire to want to be a pastor if god calls you to that or to want to be a deacon in a church of christ In my estimation, every young man ought to grow up with a desire to have a positive spiritual impact on the lives of others. But we need to make sure that we're teaching all of our young men and boys that the main qualification to be a leader in Christ's church is godly character. Far more important than how much theology you know, though that's important, but far more important than how much theology you know far more important than how gifted you are and what special talents you have far more important than all of that is this question what kind of example are you setting for others and even the youngest in this church reagan jonathan what did paul say to timothy don't let others despise you because you're young set an example set an example Last application. The point of all this is that all of us who belong to Christ, men, women, boys, and girls, God has called us all to be holy. The reason pastors and deacons are called to be models of Christ's likeness is so that the whole church will follow in that example and will know the joy of living in obedience to Christ. The command for all of us is to imitate church leaders insofar as they are examples to us of godliness. We all need models. We all need examples before us of what holiness looks like in real life. And so let's seek to be that example for others, every one of us, and let's recognize these examples around us and emulate them. Let's do it for God's sake. Let's do it for our sake. Let's do it for the sake of others. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.